there are so many lost checks out there in this country, and that money never ends up in the rightful owner. The vendor who wrote the check cannot keep the other vendor's money. I mean, these states are holding billions and billions and billions of dollars that belong to either individuals or belong to corporations, and corporations don't necessarily even realize that the money is available to them. Top leaders, meaningful conversation, actionable advice, bulldoze complacency, ignite inspiration, create impact, produced by Southwestern family of companies. This is the Action Catalyst. Are you interested in advertising with the Action Catalyst? Our listeners could be hearing about your brand right here, right now. For details, shoot us an email at info at theactioncatalyst.com. Hello, Action Catalyst listeners. Welcome back. We have with us Josh Fox today, CEO and co-founder of Bottom Line Concepts, a consulting firm that teams up with organizations to assess the top line items that are adversely affecting the business's profits. Please help me in welcoming Josh Fox. Thanks for making the time, Josh. I appreciate you being on here with us. And I'd love to start a little bit early in your story, and then we can dive into a big part of what you do today. But I'd love to hear how you chose the path of, call it money in general. When did you get uh, focused on this aspect of business in your life? It goes really, really, really far back, Adam. In fact, um, my great-grandfather worked on Wall Street. And so it was my great-grandfather, my grandfather, my father. What I ever knew my entire life was, you know, my family working on Wall Street. And uh, in 1977, my father moved to Long Island, New York, and he chose the shortest commute into the city so that he could be at work every day. And but what I do remember also is that my father was most importantly, as a family man. And so when the, when the bell rang at four o'clock, he got right on that train and he made sure that he was home for dinner with his family. And that was, I think, part of what shaped me as a man today, knowing that my father put his family first and you know, work was important to him, but he wanted to always be around for dinner and for soccer and swim practice. And you know, that was definitely something that made me a, a person that was full of integrity. Yeah. So unlike so many people, I mean, it, you you literally had this literally in your blood generationally. <laughs> yeah. But but you ended up doing econ. And then what was your first gig coming out of, out of university? I've only really had two jobs in my life. Um, right after college, I became a independent you know, financial advisor where I was uh, advising either individuals or corporations on things like you know, health insurance plans, pension programs. So you know, very early on, I was advising individual families and small corporations on how to set up benefit programs and how to uh, you know do investments. But roughly, what year was this when you were doing the financial advisor? Nineteen ninety nine, basically. So you'd been doing that almost a full ten years when the financial crisis happened. Yeah, that was the aha moment, Adam. You know, if the listeners out there can really vividly remember the mortgage meltdown of two thousand and eight. That's when I sat back. I was working on Wall Street. I was following in my family's footsteps. And all we saw in this country during the 08 meltdown was lots of companies just firing their employees. You know, everybody needed to save money. Everybody wanted to save their business. And it seemed like the quickest, fastest way for businesses to just save money tomorrow was to cut headcount. And that was not 
something that felt good to me. That wasn't something that was a long-term strategy. Like, let's not cut headcount. And so I said to myself, was there a way to start a business where we could go to some of the largest corporations on earth and help them figure out ways to do one of two things? To go back in time and look for refund past opportunities where we could get the money back from the past. Sometimes we could go back 20, 30, 40 years, at which we've done. So half of the model was going back and looking for refunds. And the other half of the model was figuring out strategies to help them save money on their expenses without sacrificing people, without cutting headcount. Do you feel that your experience prior had given you insights before 2008, right? Where you were seeing a lot of, call it just overweight expenses in certain areas? Um, what were you because I feel like that's generally the role of an auditor to see that side of the business. So what, what gave you that insight? Well, simultaneously, Adam, I was actually voted to be president of my condominium in New York City. Okay. And so I was responsible for about 220 families. And as the president of the building, my job, unpaid job, volunteer job, right? Like my volunteer job as the president of the building was to help control the cost of the building. And so I was renegotiating contracts like with the electricity and the gas and the water. I was helping lower union fees. I was looking for cheaper supplies for the buildings. Um, I was looking for bank accounts where we could get higher interest on our money. Like I really used my financial skills that I had learned to become this great president of one of the largest and newest condominiums at the time in New York City. And I got written up in the Wall Street Journal. I got written up in the New York Times. I was protecting their investment and I was protecting the building. Interesting. Yes, yeah, so it, it was your it was your volunteer job um, that actually gave you the first insight. Yeah. So because we we have a we have eighteen different companies in our family of companies, the Southwestern family of companies, and we have some shared corporate resources for things like marketing. And so I'm just kind of playing this out as an example from like what I see day to day, so I can better understand it. But let's say you hire brilliant marketing people because they've got an eye for marketing and how to build something. But someone in marketing may not be trained around how to handle and vet proposals or contracts with vendors, right? Is that kind of what we're talking about? Like where it might be a department um, that's really skilled at their craft, but part of every business unit's responsibility are going with outside vendors. And so you're just assessing, are we doing what's right with outside vendors and contracts? And that's one area that's being squeezed by companies in some cases. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a fancier term today called procurement. You know, it used to be kind of negotiations or, you know, that there's, there's companies that are buying, you know, millions and tens of millions of stuff every day for their business. I mean, it could be pens and pencils. It could be light bulbs. It could be, you know, anything that they're buying to continue to run the business. And as you grow, as you acquire companies, as you, as you said, you have all these businesses, like there's lots of inefficiencies. You know, you might be using staples in one company and office depot in a different company, and, and you need to coordinate, you know, buying the supplies maybe from one vendor and getting price breaks and getting better prices because you're able to consolidate that kind of stuff. When companies grow quickly, they they don't always sit down and reflect on their buying power and how that adjusts with scale. But the other thing is the data, Adam. You know what I mean? Like if you're buying a pencil for a dollar, how do you know if that pencil should be 80 cents, 70 cents, or 60 cents? If you had data 
from hundreds and thousands of other companies on what other companies were paying for that pencil, you have power, you have knowledge to be able to go back to a vendor and say, hi, I know other clients that are using you that are paying 10, 20, 30, 40% less. I would like the same deal or close to the same deal that you're giving my other clients. And that was the, you know, the, the beginning of things like GPOs, group purchasing organizations, where they would band together hundreds or thousands of companies and they would go to vendors and they would say, listen, I have not one company, I have a thousand companies and I want to buy these products for all my clients at a discount. And that's where the GPOs have really been powerful also. Hmm. You know, one of the things I think you've shared is that you say in many cases you've seen over 50% of monthly invoices contain errors or miscalculations that waste money. But why is that error rate so high? I mean, think about it. Every time I go to dinner, like a lot of people just like sign the check and they just move off. Like it's very, very frequently when I look at the bill at dinner or lunch, you're charged for an extra water, you're charged for an extra coffee. You know, the side dish should have been included in the meal. Like it, it's just a question of looking and reviewing and taking the extra time to look at this stuff. You know, you're the guy at the dinner date that that reviews the receipt, huh? <laughs> I think it, I think it's worth taking a few minutes to make sure it's correct. You know, good. Uh, my my wife would applaud you. I should do that more. So. I guess what particular areas of business are you most likely to have hidden savings? Is it what you were mentioning earlier where it's kind of the hard resources that a company might use as they scale, like light bulbs, staples, like kind of the office supplies, or are there other hidden areas? I think the companies that tend to have the most opportunity for efficiencies and savings are the ones that have the most locations. You know, like once you're located in 20 states, 30 states, 40 states, and you're all over the place. Like, how do you manage a business that has so many stores and so many locations? You know, one of the things that we've been doing since the very beginning, one of the coolest programs that we found, Adam, was something called unclaimed property. Like, there are so many lost checks out there in this country where a vendor will send a check to an office, a store, a location, and the business moved, the business changed. Like, they, they're not located there anymore. And that money never ends up in the rightful owner. So there's an achievement process in our country where the vendor who wrote the check cannot keep the other vendor's money. They must achieve the money over to the state where they initiated that check. And so like California is like number two, uh, New York is number one. I mean, these states are holding billions and billions and billions of dollars of lost checks that belong to either individuals or belong to corporations. And corporations don't necessarily even realize that the money is available to them. And that's one of the most unique programs that we've been doing here for 10 plus years is helping corporations identify unclaimed checks and helping them recover that money. And so there's just kind of a natural ROI for the work that you do because you're saving companies a lot of, a lot of money when they, they invest in that service. Yeah. And we built a different model, Adam, You know, in the fact that we were willing to do all of the work. We were willing to do all of the research. We were willing to do everything to take the project to completion. And our clients never had to pay us anything until it was successful. So we gave them a very easy way to say yes to this. Like, yeah, go get me my money from the state of New York or go get me my money from the state of New Jersey. And if you can get me the money, I'm happy to share a portion with you. So we really allow the client 
to get the benefit without having to pay a fee until it's done. Internally in your company, you you have, I think, a sort of a mantra of, thank God it's Monday, which you believe is a really important philosophy for people. Uh, talk talk about that. What, what does that mean? Thank God it's Monday. When you love what you do, you love going to work. You know, for me, I'm sad on Fridays because the work week is over. Happy on Sunday night because I know the next work week is available. And we've helped so many businesses, Adam. And when we think about the work that we've done, like all of the wonderful benefits of what's happened to the money that we've saved and recovered for these companies. One of the most important things I think that we see at corporations is what kind of benefits packages are being offered to its employees, Mm -hmm. retaining employees, hiring key employees, having great talent is the key to a successful organization. So when people are interviewing at companies, they're saying, what kind of health insurance plan do you offer? Do you offer time off for paternity and maternity leave? Do you offer retirement plans? Do you match retirement plans? Do you still have pension programs? Like, That's very, very, very important to employees when they're choosing a place to work. And so what we found is that as we started to save and recover money for these businesses, they were able to enhance and improve the benefits packages that they offered to their employees to make it a more attractive place to work. Yeah, I love that. Thank God it's Monday. That's a good. That's a good mantra. No matter what business someone's in, right? You, you need to have that attitude uh, around your line of work. And speaking of work, this is so kind of shifting gears for a second. Um, Josh, we got a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to our our podcast as well. They're that are actually the start of their career in business and in taking a chance on building something. You know, ten years in as a financial advisor. I mean, it's two thousand eight. We talked about the recession and your change of heart and focus with uh, the line of work you did, but. Something that that it's in my head that I want you to answer is this. I mean, I'm an executive coach. I work with a lot of people in wealth management. Ten years into a financial advisor career, it's hard to leave. I mean, you're making good money. You're the president of your condo. Like things are going great. I, and I get there's there's a big impact in the marketplace, but like, why take a risk to to do this? You know, Adam, 67 percent of American businesses are small businesses. It's the heart of America. It's capitalism. It's what makes America great that you can start something from nothing and build it into something awesome. And I wanted to do that. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to start something from scratch. I remember when I was a kid, like sitting with my grandmother, I was always interested in building things. I love games and building things. And that's really who I wanted to be. I wanted to provide an opportunity to, to start a company and to grow a business. And you know, today we employ over 300 people that love to come to work, that truly believe in TGIM. We have people that work at the company where there are husbands and wives that work here. There are you know, mothers and fathers that work here. Like There's like family members that work for the company. And it's just such a great a- atmosphere here. I am very, 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 very passionate about the environment and the oceans. And 40 of us from the company on a Saturday here in Florida, we gave up our Saturday we went down to the beach, we went there with plastic bags, and we collected 124 pounds of plastic off of the ocean. Like as the leader of the company, like that's the stuff that inspires me. That's the stuff that makes me warm my heart that we have a group of people here that started from a small company and then we had people who really cared to go clean up the oceans. I mean, that's pretty special. Yeah, I, I can appreciate that. That's awesome. You know, there's no real Disney story 
if everything goes perfect, Josh, right? Like there, there's, and there's probably very few stories where you start a business and everything works perfectly from the beginning and there's never a problem. And, and so let, let our listeners in a little bit on this because I feel like everybody runs into a wall. I know a lot of our listeners run into a wall when they're building and starting a business. So speak to that for a minute. What are some of these challenges that you found as the leader of the company building the business itself? I did something kind of unique, Adam. I ended up hiring and working with many, 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 many of my old friends here at the company. So I have friends that work here that I've known since middle school. I have friends that work at the company that I've known since summer camp. I have friends that work at the company that I went to college with. I have friends that I went to high school with. And the camaraderie and the friendships and the leaning on each other in the tough times and tough moments that we are here together, a group of people that I've known for 10, 20, 30 years, has allowed any of those issues or storms to be weathered in such a positive way because we all know each other for so long. That's great. One last question that we'll leave you with is this advice that you, knowing everything that you know today that you would give your younger self. I mean, if you went back to the 21-year-old uh, Josh that's just completing university, going down this path that you've been down, what would be the one piece of advice you, you'd give yourself? I mean, I'm sure people say this, but this is really, to me, the one, Adam, you have to love what you do. If you're just there for a paycheck, if you're just doing something to make money, you're going to be burned out quick. You're, you're going to be unhappy. Like when I say TGIM, like that's the truth. Like I love to go to work. I love the people I'm working with. I love the clients that I'm working with. And I love our mission. Our mission is to help businesses. Our mission is to help small businesses reinvest in themselves. Like It's so incredible when we see the money that we've helped these businesses get and what they're doing with it, how they're reinvesting it into their businesses, how they're making their employees better, how they're expanding their businesses, like the American dream. And, and for Listeners, where can they find more of these resources and information on you? Um, our website's bottomlinesavings.com. And I'll leave you with this one, Adam. It's relax, have fun. What's the difference? And what I mean by that is like, relax, right? Like, don't take everything so seriously. Like, we sometimes take things way too seriously. Like, just relax, you know? Um, have fun, meaning life is all about having fun. Life is not about not having fun. Like we want to enjoy every day that we're on this earth. And then I think that the last part is really the most impactful item. Like what's the difference? Meaning that what seems so important today will seem so unimportant tomorrow. Live in the moment, you know, like enjoy the day that's here. The only guarantee we have is today and enjoy it and live in the moment, no matter what you're doing. And if you really are unhappy in your job or your career or what you're doing, the great thing is you can make a change. You can try something different, like go for it, like take a risk like I did, like go find something you love to do. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll share that message with our listeners. And I appreciate you taking the time that you did to jump on our show here at the Action Catalyst and share a little bit about what you do and the experiences that you've had. Thanks for joining us. Listen, you guys are amazing. I love what you're doing. I appreciate you having me on and really enjoyed the conversation. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. And to stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and on Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. And thanks for listening.